Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Morning, morning. My name is Pastor Davis. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Corner. If you have your Bibles, please open them up. Uh, We are going to be in the book of Luke this morning. Book of Luke, we're going to be in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Uh, We'll start out reading 1 through 5 together, and then I'll pray and we'll jump right into it. If you are a note taker today, the title of today's message is Missing the Point, Part 2. Spoiler, it was a two-parter, so this is great. Let's read together here just a second. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray real quick. Father, we want to thank you for your word. God, I just want to pray, Lord, before we jump right into this passage. There's a lot for us here this morning. I was talking to someone after first, and he's like, there's a lot of meat on the bone here. And this is one of those passages. But God, I just want to pray for us this morning that we take a few minutes, we let all of our distractions melt away. In a room this size, there's probably a few people uh, that had a really rough week. Maybe they're looking ahead at next week and seeing all the stuff coming up. Maybe a few people just feel overwhelmed this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we enter into this time, you bring peace. God, you bring uh, yourself, your presence. And you help us listen. Help us hear. God, don't let us leave this place unchanged this morning, even just a little bit. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week, uh, when we were talking together, we were talking about how the people that Jesus was ministering to were missing the point of his ministry. He was going around and he was healing, and the people that he was ministering to got lost on the healing. They saw people that were being brought from the brink of death from sicknesses. They saw demons being cast out. They saw uh, paralysis be undone. They saw all these amazing things happen, and they missed the point of why Jesus was here. They couldn't get past the needs that were right in front of them And they couldn't see the real reason why Jesus came. They got lost on their physical needs and missed the fact that Jesus was there to heal their spiritual needs. See, deep down, the people didn't need a savior that could just heal them of their physical infirmities. They needed someone that could heal them spiritually, reconcile them back to God. And what Jesus has been doing in this past chapter, what he's going to do through a lot of this gospel, he's pointing people back to their true need. He's always about bringing out the core issue. And this week in this passage is another passage of people who are missing the point. 
And this time, it's not the people that are uh, physically sick that are looking for a healer. This passage is about the religious people that are totally missing the point of what Jesus came for. Something to know about the Jewish culture at this point in time was that they were very good at playing church. They went to church each weekend. They did all the ceremonies. They went through the motions. They did all the things that they were supposed to do as a uh, follower of Yahweh back in that day. But they really missed, they focused on the rules, and they missed the God that wrote the rules. And so with this reality in place, we can jump back into our passage. Let's read that again there. On a Sabbath, while he was going, Jesus was going through a grain field, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees, or the religious leaders, said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now the first thing we have to point out, because there's a lot to unpack in this passage here, the first thing we have to point out is the day of the week this is taking place on. On the Sabbath. Now, in uh, Jewish days here, the Sabbath happened on Saturday. They didn't go to church on Sunday like we do now. They went to church on Saturday. That was the day that God set up as the holy day of rest for the Jewish people. And I think it's really important for us to understand why this is a big deal. We look at it like, okay, they're eating some grain out of the grain field. Why is this a big deal? Uh, But it was a big deal because of some cultural history, historical significance. Any history people in here? couple of history people. Okay, this is, a, this is a piece of history here. We're introduced to the Sabbath in Exodus chapter 20. First as one of the Ten Commandments. Everybody know the Ten Commandments, right? Okay, number four on the Ten Commandments is honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. And God goes on to explain in, in Exodus 20 of Sabbath and what he means by it. It says this. I'll read a couple verses. It says, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Six days you will labor. Do all of your work. But on the seventh day, Saturday, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy." Now, what we see here in this passage is God is setting up a day of rest for the people. And I think something is really important for us to understand and remember as we look at this idea of the Sabbath that God set up is the people that in Exodus 20 God is talking to have just come out of slavery in Egypt. Remember, for the past several hundred years, the people of Israel are enslaved under the Egyptians, and day after day, they're up at the crack of dawn, working all day, building their structures, making bricks, doing whatever the Egyptians wanted them to do. All day, every day, if they slacked, they got whipped every single day for, I think it's 400 years. Think what that does to a group of people after that long the dehumanizing that takes place, the demoralization that takes place. And what God is doing in this moment is he's saying, I am reversing what happened in Egypt. He says, yes, as a society, we have to work in order to make crops, in order to make buildings, but there's going to be one day a week where you're going to take a day off. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to make your kids work. You're not going to make your cows work. You're not going to make your employees work. You're not going to make the immigrants in your land work. And Nobody's going to work here. We're taking a day, we're resting, we're recharging, 
we're breathing. The people can worship. What the Sabbath was at its core was a a weekly reminder that God had set them free. It was a weekly reminder that God had brought freedom to the people. I think it's a great thing. However, something really drastically changed from the time Exodus 20 happened and we see uh, Jesus walking through a grain field with his disciples several hundred years later. Something's changed. The rule has changed. And it wasn't God that changed it. See, rather than using the opportunity for the Sabbath to be a day to refocus, recharge, reflect, any other R words preachers like to use there, the Sabbath became a day, a litmus test, that people used to judge one another, whether they were a good Jew or a bad Jew. It ended up happening through the years, and and semi-unintentionally, was that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, added a bunch of rules to the Sabbath of stuff you could do, of stuff you couldn't do, on the Sabbath. In fact, they added 39 different rules of what it meant to work on the Sabbath. And these categories were actually subdivided into further categories, into physical rules, some of which could be described as how many steps you could take on the Sabbath without stepping into sin, how many letters on a page you could write without falling into sin, and all a bunch of, but there's a whole bunch of other ones. There's actually one where uh, you could only walk, I think it was a mile, unless you were in a boat, because, you know, the waves could carry you a little bit further than a mile, you know, it was, it was really weird. So a lot of people actually put, would put bottles of water under their saddlebags and stuff like that, so they were over water, you know, <laughs> they were traveling. Anyway, But these guardrails led to legalism inside the church. The Sabbath, which was supposed to be a freeing thing, which was supposed to be a day where they could reflect and they could worship, establish good rhythms, became a chain. What was supposed to lift them up was weighing them all down. Which brings us back to the disciples who plucked and eight heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and the Pharisees see them and say, what are you doing? Why are you doing something that's not lawful on the Sabbath? See, the Pharisees see this take place, and they're like, why in the world are these disciples doing this? This is wrong. Jesus, you say you're a great teacher. You say you're a really moral dude. You say you are even God himself. Why are you letting your people do this? And Jesus answers them. Take a look quick down at your text there. It says, and Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now there's a lot of words there, and Jesus answers their question very, very cleverly. In fact, I think Jesus would be the worst person to argue with, because whenever anybody asked him a question, he responded with another question, all right? How many would hate that if you were arguing with somebody like, oh, well, what do you think about this? You know, like, uh, well, what Jesus does here, he kind of does that. He says, uh, why are you criticizing me? Why are you criticizing me and uh, my disciples when you don't hold other people to the same standard? He goes, you look at King David when he was on the run from King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 21. He was running from Saul. He went to the priests at the house of God. He's like, hey, give me the bread that's only meant for priests. It was against Mosaic law. And he's like, you're not going to hold David to this standard. So why are you holding up me to this standard? 
And the reason why Jesus brings this up is the disciples here are not breaking Scripture. They're not actually walking in sin against God. The only rules they are breaking are the rules that the Pharisees had set up that were the extra rules not found in Scripture. In essence, they're going against people's preferences, not against the laws that Jesus or God set up. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. This idea that the Jewish people had of determined whether you were a good follower of God or a bad follower of God determined how close you set up, you, you uh, followed the man-made system that was around the religion. They totally missed the heart. They missed the motivation for obeying God. They missed the point. So when I was an RA in college, how many of you guys know what an RA is? All right, okay, I see, I heard some groans because you know the RAs are the fun police on campus, right? I was an RA, and uh, I had about nine guys on my floor under my care. And my first job uh, as an RA was to enforce the code of conduct for the school that we were attending, which there were some pretty strict rules there. If you had to, I had to check rooms every day to make sure they were cleaned. If your garbage can was half full, I got to fine you $5. It was Really, really strict. It was like the military over there. Uh, but uh, but there, it was a mostly a good experience. And I had some, a great time with these guys because my second job was making sure they were having a, a good college experience with all those rules, uh, but uh, that they were also growing spiritually. So I got to have some great conversations with those guys. But during that time, I had one guy who came from a very, very wild lifestyle. Um, he said, I just wanted something different. I want to try and know God. And I'm like, okay, sweet. That's awesome. Let's do that. But while we were talking, he could never get the idea of grace through his head. He could never get this idea that this God loved him and was calling him to something else, not just to a bunch of rules, but to a relationship. He never could get that through his head. I remember one, I thought we were making some good progress, and uh, we went home for a Thanksgiving break, and we came back, and I noticed this guy, is his, he's just totally downcast. You could tell something happened over Thanksgiving break. And he came to me and he said, hey, Davis, can we talk in my room? I said, absolutely, let's go talk, man. So we went into his room, he, is, he looks at me, and he's like, Davis, I have good news, and I have bad news. Okay. Uh, let's start with the bad news. Let's get that out of the way. And he says, okay, the bad news is while I was on home for Thanksgiving break, I hooked up with a random girl that I met. Okay, well, thanks for being honest. That's, that's really bright. Thank you. And I'm like, what's, what's the good news? And he said, I only hooked up with one girl. Now, years later, I can laugh at that, right? I, I can laugh at that. That's a pretty funny story. But I can, I can laugh at that now. But in the moment, I had, to, had my serious face on. I'm like, bro, you're missing the point here. The point here is not that you like, slept with less people than last week or the last break. The point is that God's calling you on to something else. Yes, God forgives. Yes, God does all those things. But God is calling us on. And I use that story as an example because how often do we do a lot of the same things? 
How often do we get caught up, we determine our place with God on how religious we've been or how religious we haven't been, how much we've sinned this week or how much we haven't sinned this week, how much we've stepped into other people's preferences and how they view uh, things that aren't scriptural but uh, convictions or how we haven't measured up to those things. And we use that to determine our place with God. Or how much is the inverse true, that we look at other people who don't follow our convictions, again, not talking about scriptural mandate, but our convictions, and we look out down on other people for following the convictions that God's placed in their life. See, something that Luke doesn't include in this passage, that, but Mark, when he tells the same story, he includes, is in Mark 2.27, it says, after Jesus answered them, he said, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. He said this whole Sabbath thing that God gave to you was for you. It wasn't meant to be a chain that was meant to bring you down or to add all these extra rules to it. It was made to be freeing. That's what he came to do. But they made it a chain. And the last thing Jesus says in this passage, he says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He says all of these rules. You look at the Old Testament, all the Ten Commandments. You look at the Sabbath. You look at all of this, the sacrifice system that had been set up in the Old Testament. He says all of this points to me. He says if this doesn't bring you to a relationship with me, we are missing the point. Again, how often, how often do we get stuck here? How often do we look at like our faith is this chore? And we miss the fact that God is calling us into a relationship with him. He's calling us to know him. And instead of doing things with God, we get caught up in doing things for him. How often, how many of you have ever been in a season where you're wondering, am I praying enough right now? Am I praying enough? Or am I reading the Bible enough? Or am I, uh, am I going to church enough? I got, if I want to be a good Christian, I have to go at least three times a week. Or I need to join a small group. Or I need to serve more. Or I need to do all these things. And then God's going to know I'm serious. Then God's going to know I, I want to be different. And Jesus would certainly say these are all good things. These are all opportunities for us to express our obedience. They're great things. They're tools to help us grow but if our motivation for stepping into the actions of faith is that God will love me and accept me, you've totally missed the point, and we fall into legalism. We miss the point of why Jesus came. In fact, if you looked at the entire story of human religion, not just Christianity, the entire story of human religion, by and large, you would find a story that was really long and full of people trying to work their way to God and earn his love and acceptance. That's what you find. Some examples of that. I think of like Hinduism. There's one sect of Hinduism that believes in a god by the name of Murugan. And what Murugan demands is that once a year during a festival, uh, you have to put these giant hooks or like this long. You can look up pictures online. If you don't like needles, don't look up pictures online. Uh, but these long pictures, and you put them through your back, all up and down your back. You tie those uh, hooks to ropes. Those ropes are tied about 20 feet behind you to a giant weight, and you have to carry them over a long distance. And you just bleed everywhere. And the reason they do that is they believe if they successfully do that, Murrigan will bless their crops that year, or give them a child, or bless them in some way. 
Another example could be Martin Luther, who was a father of the Protestant Reformation. Before that, he was Catholic. And what he would do almost every day is he would climb the stairs of the Roman church that were stone stairs on his knees until they were bleeding, cracked open because he believed God would know how serious he was about repentance. Another example, when I was in China, I was at a Buddhist temple and I saw a lady that was smashing her face as she bowed before her her altar into the concrete. And she came up and her head was just bleeding like this. Because she believed the lower and harder she bowed, the more God would love her. Now, these are really graphic examples. And we don't, we don't come to church and do that, obviously. But I think there's, in many cases, where we spiritually do this. We try to earn our way to God rather than look at the way he's actually come. See, the whole point of the cross is that Jesus didn't set you free on the cross because you read your Bible seven times last week. In fact, Romans 5.8 says he died for you while you were in the deepest, darkest, uh, worst spot in your life. Think of the worst time of your life when you were the most lost. That's the moment he died for you. That's the moment he said, come home. In fact, Ephesians goes so far to say, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead, in trespasses. I don't know too many corpses that move, right? It doesn't say when you were alive, when you finally made an effort, when you finally met God halfway, when you were dead. If I was preaching up here and I just conked out and somebody knew CPR and was doing compressions, I wouldn't be helping with those compressions. It'd be all on you. I hope somebody knows CPR. Oh, you do? Sweet. That's awesome. Uh, deadness is dead. That's the moment he came. That's the moment it says he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus came to remind us we are not saving ourselves. The whole point of the gospel is you can't change you. God has to do it. God has to do it. The motivation to follow after Christ cannot be to earn his favor. Gratitude. Our motivation to follow after him is gratitude, and that's what the people missed. Instead of stepping into the freedom that God gave him, that gave them, they ran this hamster wheel of religion over and over and over, year after year, missing the point. I think a a valuable question for us to ask ourselves is, what do we use to determine our status with God? I know we know the right answers, but when it comes down to it, what do you depend on? Do you depend on your works? Do you depend on experience? I know experiences are huge in our culture. Do you depend on your 5 a.m. devotions? Because these things will never cut it. See, that's the irony of our existence. While the whole human race has been yearning to know God and earn their way to God, Jesus says the ways we're doing it will never get there. We'll never make it that way. That's why he came. There's one more story we have here. Look down at verse 6 with me. It says this, On another Sabbath, so we see it's on the Sabbath again, 
he entered the synagogue, Jesus was teaching. And a man there whose right hand, a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. In this last text, we see that Jesus is again teaching. He's in the synagogue, which is like a church. And he's talking and he's, he's teaching from God's word. And all the while, there's this murmuring that's kind of going on throughout the crowd. I don't know how big it was. It might have been a room this size, maybe this many people. And in this crowd, in addition to the Pharisees and the other churchgoers, there's a guy with a withered hand. If you notice what it says, his right hand, which is really important because that, they had, that, that bit, in that day and age, your right hand was your working hand. Your left hand was, it was used for something else. Um, but uh, it, was a, it was an important hand. This hand is his livelihood. And it's unusable. It's withered. And all the Pharisees that are around are wondering, what is Jesus going to do with this guy with a withered hand on the Sabbath? Because healing on the Sabbath was against the rules. Not God's rules, man's rules. And Jesus, sensing this, looks at the guy and he's like, hey, come up here a minute. And I always wondered how this guy felt in this moment. Like, am I just getting called out? What's going on here? Uh, so he comes up. And Jesus says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or harm? Is it lawful to save life or to destroy it? He asks a rhetorical question here. Is it, good, is it godly to do a good thing or a bad thing on the Sabbath? To heal something or to kill something? What's godly? And the Pharisees don't say a thing. They're wondering what Jesus is going to do. He says, and he looked around at them. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He turns to this guy with a withered hand, and he says, stretch out your hand. And I think that phrase right there is the most valuable part of this piece. Because notice what he doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, hey, bro, you're healed. And just comes right back out. He doesn't say, hey, meet me behind the building in five minutes after church. We'll take care of this when these guys aren't looking. He doesn't say, hey, go show yourself to the priest. You're going to find that it's all better in the morning. He doesn't say that. He says, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. He's calling this man in this moment to an act of faith. He's calling this guy to an action. And it wasn't based on how well he had done that week. It wasn't based on how, how many times he'd read the Bible. It wasn't based on how well he obeyed the Sabbath or any of those things. It was a, a command of God in the moment. That's how God works a lot of times, isn't it? In the moment. To stretch out your hand. What I find interesting is in this passage, in order to experience healing on the Sabbath, he had to break the system of legalism in his own life. Because I guarantee you, all these Pharisees watching, all the other people in the congregation that are watching are probably going to judge him if he reaches out his hand. Because they're going to, he's going to obey Jesus rather than all these people that think what he's doing is wrong. We don't know what happened afterwards. He might have got cast out. We don't know. But this is a big moment. And I bet there were some ideas in his brain that he had to break down about God before he could do that. He had to break the system of legalism in his own mind. It says this. He did so, and his hand was restored. 
but they were filled with fury and disgust with one another how, what they might do to Jesus. So he does it. The Pharisees are upset. I find it really ironic. It's, it's wrong to heal on the Sabbath, but it's okay to plot someone's murder. I think that's a, interesting. <laughs> but this man here has to step out of legalism and into what God has called him to. And I think this morning, I think for us, the same invitation is stretched out. See, every day, Jesus gives us the opportunity to reject our legalism. Because whether maybe, maybe you are you're here this morning, you've been determining your entire relationship with God based on how well you've done this week or how well you haven't done this week. What I found true in my life is that there's these shards of legalism that pop up, not across my whole faith, but across pieces of it. I wonder if I'm, I'm doing enough for God. I wonder if uh, I'm, you know, maybe I am reading enough. Am I studying enough? Am I uh, passionate enough? Am I fill in the blank? Maybe it's just judging other people for based on our convictions. Maybe it's a half-hearted Christianity. What Jesus invites us to do, what Jesus came to do, was invite us out of that legalism. Invite us out of our way of our preferences and step into the acceptance and the identity that God is building in you through Christ. Not of your own works, not of your own doing, but of what he wants to form in you. He invites us into that. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, tomorrow, the next day, is will we step into that? Are we going to walk in a legalistic heart? Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.